conversations around good. Yo, we talking. The conversations around good. Yo, yo, we talking. Yo. Conversations, conversations, conversations around the good. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am so excited that you're about to listen in on another episode of the Made Possible by podcast. I wanted to take a quick second to let you know exactly what we do. Made Possible by makes giving easy for community-minded businesses and provide a more effective way to share their stories of good. Now let's jump into the podcast. Welcome to the Made Possible by podcast, where we have conversations around good with community-minded individuals. We hope that today's episode inspires you to go out and do good. Hello, and thank you again for joining us for another conversation around good. I am Tracy with Made Possible by, and we love to make good loud. We love to share stories of individuals, organizations, businesses who are doing cool things in their community. Um, I always say this, this is my favorite part of my role and that I get to interview people that are doing these cool things. I get to connect with people. I think people are fascinating. I love to hear the different stories of backgrounds and visions and ideas and beliefs. And today I'm really excited to have with me today, Nicole Raglan. Nicole is an Oklahoma native and we're gonna get all into her a very long resume, but Nicole is a film woman and a photographer, which she's done some really beautiful things. I love your pictures with horses, by the way. Ah, oh, thank you. Those are really pretty. Thanks, Those are thanks. really pretty. So thank you for joining us. Today. Oh, of course. Thank you too. Happy to be here. Oh, awesome. Nicole has worked in the craft of imagery industry for 18 years in Los Angeles. And then she returned home to Oklahoma's Ragland Ranch, where she has a cute little apartment in the barn right now <laughs> until she gets to build when all those wood prices go down. Wood prices. Hear us people out there, whoever's in the wood price control, who has please. the control of that button, please lower <laughs> that number, yeah. please. Um, she has a degree in environmental science as well as in photography. She has created imagery with an emphasis on cause-driven storytelling for 20 years. She creates photography and films that do not cause dispute, but rather reconfigure who we are. An aesthetic meant to push boundaries and bridge difference. Boy, we need that, don't we? Mm, absolutely. Gosh, yeah. we need both of those things. Yeah. Both of those things. Um, her work has involved telling stories for national, international NGOs, nonprofit organizations, as well as Patagonia, Toyota, Guernica. Am I saying that right? Grant, uh, Guernica. Yes. Guernica. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. I had to think about that one for yeah, a second. I did too. Uh, the Intercept and LA Weekly. After directing the film Farmer's Footprint, she has continued in the growing movement of regenerative agriculture to document work from RCS Australia as well as black farming in Oklahoma. She is currently building the nonprofit Regenerate Oklahoma, a statewide soil health initiative that seeks to advance the practice of regenerative agriculture. You can reach out to Nicole for more information at NicoleRaglan.com, and there is no E in Nicole, so just take that E out. We're going to just 
clarify that right straight up front um, through a collaborative coalition of farmers ranches business leaders and soil scientists documentarians her mission is to create economic reclamation of food sovereignty and health so big dreams big dreams yeah, here sure. there's a lot of big <clears throat> dreams yeah. so we're going to dive into all of that because there's a lot there's a lot there. There's a lot there. There Absolutely. is, yeah. which is great. We love yeah. that. It's like yeah. it's like it's like that really dark, deep soil. Mm-hmm. You know, we're gonna yeah. dig in there. Yeah, we're absolutely. Gonna dig in there. Yeah. Okay, so before we jump into all that, tell us something unique about you and something that brought you joy this week. Unique about me? You asked me that via email, and I was thinking about it. Um, I like you, like you spoke to earlier. Love people and and watching people, and I think I've done it starting at a really young age. Um, I was very quiet when I was young and, and just loved to watch. And so I think consequently I have um, sometimes a curse and sometimes a blessing of seeing through people. Mm. <laughs> um, and I, you know, it depends on the circumstance, but I, you know, I, I just have some semblance of seeing um, the core of people. And I just love, I obviously shoot a lot of people and document a lot of people and just wanting to create stories that reflect the art of what makes us us. So yeah, that would, I think that's, yeah, definitely a curse and a blessing, but we'll go with blessing more. Well, I mean, it's kind of a human filter in the sense that you can see the authenticity, authenticity of people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes a really good photographer or, Mm. um, you know, just being able to see what's really happening. Yeah. You know, yeah. And and to... I, I think people are really starving for it these days. They're really looking for authenticity and especially in this media landscape mm. that we're dealing with, with so much polarization and, and mistrust. A lot of people just really don't trust a lot of information that's out there. And so, um, essentially as a citizen journalist or documentary photographer or filmmaker, it's important to me to translate really authentic mm-hmm. storylines. Yeah. Well, that just encourages us to just be real, that you don't have to put your mask on. Yeah. People, just be you. Yeah. We love who you are. So just be you. Yeah, absolutely. It's completely okay. I think it's my favorite thing about Okies and coming back. Mm. I've been gone so so long, and it's really um, a trait of being an an Okie. It's just really authentic, straight shooting. Yes. Real deal. Yes. For the most part. I'm telling you, there is something really unique about Oklahomans. Mm -hmm. My husband's originally from Michigan, and I'm from Colorado. And when we first moved here, it blew his mind how friendly people were here. Mm -hmm. Like, he was kind of annoyed by it for a little while. (laughs) The first time we went to the grocery store, they... this young high school kid was bagging our groceries and he picks them up to start to carry them out to our car and my husband grabbed his arm and said those are ours because we don't have that yeah we don't have that yeah you know but we oklahoma people live to serve they live Mm -hmm. to help i mean yes Mm -hmm. and if you're in the produce aisle you're probably going to talk to somebody yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i had a friend come and visit from new york city when i was a kid 18 19 and we were taking a walk and walking down the street and everyone was like, ha, ha, ha. Yes. And she was like, do you know them? She was so confused. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah, it's just like, now these are strangers being kind. This is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, my husband yeah. said the same thing to me. Mm-hmm. When people would say, hello, do you know them? No. Why are they talking to us? <laughs> what do they want? This is how people are here. Yeah. No, yeah, I good. love that. Mm-hmm. Well, you also told me something unique about you before in that you dated 
Big Head Todd. <laughs> I did I so think that's long cool. ago. I was a kid. Yeah, I was 19. Yeah. So you yeah. did a Todd of Big Head Todd? Yeah. And oh it was before God. he was like really Big Head Todd. And it was really when he was playing in like, you know, fraternities and little dive bars in Denver. It was at University of Denver when I met him. Nice. But yeah. Amazing artist and yeah. mind and incredible yeah. talent. Yeah. Oh, so fun. Yeah. So if you're really young, Big Head Todd was a band in the 90s. They were really big. Yeah. Right? They're still around, yeah, but they were pretty around. big 90s into yeah. early 2000s. Yeah. I think they had a yeah. tour last year. I want to say that they were at um, Red Rocks last year. Really? Because I think we, I, I could be off, but I think that we were, we always try to go to, well, I shouldn't say try. We dream every year to go to a concert at Red Rocks. Yeah, the it's, best. Um, it's, the there's best. not a more no. beautiful venue. No. There's just not. I'm yeah. just saying. Yeah. But I'm a Colorado girl, so I'm going to say that. Yeah. But we try to just look at their schedule, and I think they were on there. Yeah. So good for, for them. Sure. They're still out there doing yeah. their thing. Sure. Amazing talent. Nice. Yeah. That's a cool, that's a cool story. Yeah. I think that's awesome. <laughs> so let's start with the basics. Cause some people are probably going, what are you guys talking about? What is regenerative agriculture? What does yeah. that look like? <clears throat> well, the word regenerative comes from regeneratas, which is a Latin word meaning to heal again. Um, it's nothing new. This is what our indigenous ancestors were doing for hundreds of years prior to this very large movement that is happening, which is really exciting, um, both within this country as well as international. Um, regenerative, essentially, like I said, is to heal again. And so it is um, recognizing the fact that, that damage has been done to our soils. And uh, it's, it's basically weaning away from the chemicals that um, have done this damage over the last, I mean, primarily 40, 50 years, and uh, moving away from tilling, which is basically disrupting the mycorrhizal fungi within the soil, which is absolutely necessary to create nutrient density, um, as well as aggregates in the soil that essentially absorb water. So we're getting so much soil erosion. In fact, I think the number, the G GDP is like 8 billion per year due mm. to soil runoff. Mm. Um, and if we think back historically, we're, you know, we can look at civilizations falling by virtue of losing our soils. And so regenerative agriculture is basically um, bringing life back to our soils and helping producers transition away from essentially a dependency to these chemicals, um, as well as tilling in certain times, um, and, and introducing more diversity into their, into their operations so that they can bring back um, all the diversity and, and nutrient density and, and build up necessary buildup within our soils. Hmm. Yeah. So I understand that not doing the pesticides, because clearly that's... That's just a mess. Mm -hmm. But if you don't till, what what are your options if you're not tilling? I mean, how do you? Um, <clears throat> I think really just integrating cover crops so okay. that you are, like I said, diversifying yeah. that soil. I mean, that's that's a big one. Um, Ray Archuleta has been kind of a hero of mine. He's been one of the superstars across the country. He works for Understanding Ag. Um, and his whole thing is just cover it, cover it, cover it, the entire country we need to be covering in terms of creating that um, diversifying into the soil. Yeah. So by covering it, you mean? Integrating different crops um, like rye, like um, vetch, so, I mean, in order to, to change up essentially um, away from what we know of being as a monoculture. So here in Oklahoma, we're growing p primarily corn and soybeans and 
then there's obviously cattle ranching and grazing lands happening. Um, <clears throat> we it's so important that we have animals that are part of bringing back soil. So um, the Noble Foundation actually is is doing a lot on education to teach producers uh, rotational grazing because so, that you know compact. Um, once upon a time, coming from bison, we're doing so much really strong, compact movement on the ground that helps um, within the soil aggregates. So rotational grazing and diversifying to essentially create this you know, salad for not only cattle to be eating, which is also necessary for that meat, which we then consume, mm-hmm. um, but also in, you know, within, within the ground and, and, again, diversifying the soil. Okay, so like certain times a year you plant this, or next year instead of planting corn, you would plant something else mm-hmm. just to keep changing it. Just, yeah. Nice. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, just like anything, if you, if you do one thing, you know, a monoculture can be used as a metaphor in anything. We shouldn't be doing necessarily one thing over and over again. And, you know, diversifying in society, diversifying in our organizations, diversifying in the language that we speak. I mean, if we can constantly mix it up, that's part of mm-hmm. the regenerative principles is maintaining circulatory flow and, and diversifying and edge effect abundance and ecosystems. That's when there's different ecosystems that come together, that it's that line essentially that is the most plentiful in terms of mm. in terms of ecosystem. Mm. Yeah. Another way that diversity is really good. Yes. It's always good. That's right. We yeah. want to see that. Yeah. We, we don't all need to be the same. No. <laughs> no, we do not. So how did you come to... I studied environmental science in Colorado, uh, University of Denver, and at the time being a kid in college, not really knowing why, as most of us in college do. Um, and then ever since then, doing freelance stories, like I said, you know, shooting for national and international NGOs, and primarily stories on the environment. And then after just a beautiful turn of events in choreography, I met um, a gentleman called Dr. Zach Bush, who is triple board certified in endocrinology, um, hospice and palliative care, um, and just a really brilliant mind that was connecting uh, human health to soil health. And he had done a ton of cancer research, and he basically put a control group together of a certain group of patients dealing with cancer and put them on a high alkaline diet and they all got even more sick. And so he and his team basically were like, there's, there really is something in our food. We have to understand what's going on in our food system. And there's plenty of pesticides. It's really horrifying. Like the, unfortunately, um, the array of chemicals that we're dealing with, not only in our food system, but in our water system and now consequently in our air, you know, all the things that we clean our, our table with, et cetera. Um, and he spoke specifically to glyphosate, which is the, the main uh, ingredient in Roundup. Mm-hmm. And much of nature basically has these like fat-soluble um, ability to absorb toxins, like not only for the soil, but consequently for us. And what is so terrifying about glyphosate is that it's water-soluble. And so it ends up in our in our waterways, it ends up in our rivers, it ends up in our food system, it ends up in our rain. There's a tremendous amount of glyphosate in our rain, which is just horrifying to think about. And what it does is it essentially breaks open this gut lining 
um, which is this just cell layer thick lining outside of our microbiome. And in so doing, that creates inflammation. And as we're all learning in science and medicine, that so much of these diseases, which we are number one in, and being one of the most, if not you know, the biggest in the in the developed world, number one in diabetes, and cancer, and autism, and Parkinson's, and ADD, um, it just it goes on and on. And it's just we've got to start paying attention to you know this this correlation and recognizing how this. You know these elusive chemicals are are affecting us, affecting our. I mean everything, soil and water and air quality and human health. And so, coming to this, I was just like, this is this is everything. And 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 really addressing not only soil health but human health, um, climate disruption, um, the cleaning of our waterways, the cleaning of our air. And you know, going back to the here in Oklahoma community, this is neighbor helping neighbor, and getting in touch with our farmers we're so disconnected as consumers from our farmers knowing who our farmers are um building demand because ultimately the consumers are driving the bus towards demand there's only six percent demand of even organic food in this country which mm-hmm. is kind of amazing and monsanto now bear monsanto at the time said if, if that needle was pushed to even 13 percent, that would affect us financially and so, you know, it's up, it's, it's up to us really to create the education and the importance of, of why this matters, why soil health matters, why empowering our farmers matter, um, and ultimately creating healthy food for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my dad lives in Iowa, and he lives close to the, one, one of the Monsanto plants. Mm. And... I was on the phone with him and he was in line at the pharmacy to get some medication for a stomach issue that he had. And he said that there was, he was chatting with the people in line with him before I called and two other men in the line were getting the same medication for the same thing. Mm. And I just said, are we connecting the dots here? I mean, let's see where you are. Mm -hmm. They eat all meat all the time. And that's all they grow there is corn, Mm -hmm. corn and meat. Yeah. And it's all. Yeah. Well, and also now some people may not be aware, but Bear bought out Monsanto. Monsanto sold to Bear, which I th- I think for like $6.6 billion, which is not a lot of money for a company that owns 80% of the global food chain. Mm. And why on earth is a company that, take out, that took out essentially all the nutrients within plants sold to a German company that sells medicine? You know, I mean that, and to me, that's an issue of homeland security. Mm-hmm. That truly is an issue of homeland security. And so, um, this is an effort really to to bring this home and create again hyper local uh, food sovereignty and relationship to farmers and building out small markets and and bringing it all home. Mm-hmm. We yeah. need to get back to some healthy soil, healthy soils, starting with the little farmers and. Yeah. Or whoever, whoever yeah. will do it, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't realize, but like 70% of of the food that we eat outside of meat are grown by small-scale farmers, five acres or less, you know? And we in Oklahoma with, you know, more land than people, we're in a, in a position to where we could actually make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you think, it's, is it the farmer's markets that most people connect with those these type of farmers, or is it more... 
I mean, I know that there's co-ops that people mm-hmm. do as well. So what do yeah. you say if someone's listening going, oh my gosh, I really want to make a difference. I want to start connecting and start supporting these small farmers. How do I do that? Yeah. Um, so we're working closely with the uh, Conservation Commission, the Conservation Districts, the Noble Foundation. Um, and then there's, I mean, there's Paseo Farmers Markets. There's the Conscious Community Co-op, which yeah. is just amazing. It's been, I'm sure they're close by to you. They've been around um, several years now and fought tooth and nail essentially to create more than just a farmer's market because they, you know, I think the Department of Ag said, well, what are you? You're not a farmer's market, a weekend farmer's market, and you're not a grocery store. And so they really carved out this seven-day-a-week market co-op for farmers. Um, Plenty of farmer's markets to go to. Um, We are, that's part of our effort with Regenerate Oklahoma is to create media education as well as connectivity to farmers. That's what's one of our goals is to, if someone can put in a zip code, they can know exactly where they can find their local beef producer or find okra or find, you know, tomatoes or pecans, whatever can be close by. Um, so we're working on, on essentially being that network to to folks that can find farmers close to them. Um, there's so many Facebook pages. Um, Riziki Farms is amazing. I mean, Focus Farms, which is close by here in between Edmond and Guthrie. Um, Looney Farms, I mean, there's there's really a handful of folks, and we're working on getting that all up on our website. So, nice. Yeah. I appreciate that connection because yeah, sometimes you just feel like, oh, my gosh, I just have to run into Walmart. I know. Well, that's – and it's kind of what we're up against, right, is this culture of convenience, and, and we're all going to have to get just a little bit more uncomfortable to make a, a further drive and, and to know, you know, how do I, how do I support my farmer and, and – take care of these local small markets yes absolutely Mm -hmm. there's also vision farms here um in guthrie they're doing the same thing and they're very very generous to help uh the homeless shelters or you know other businesses not businesses other nonprofits, and to help giving Mm -hmm. um healthy food to these people because it's not cheap unfortunately i know well it's It's, because there's not enough ground right that's the issue and mm -hmm. so yeah, we've got we've got to be growing more and urban communities. We've been in contact with these urban developers. Um, multiple conversations, Patrick Myers and Brandon Lodge, who are building the Ice House project. Yeah, I don't know if you, yeah, mm-hmm. really great guys. And and Patrick himself is actually a dairy farmer. He and his partner are out in Cushing, and they like most dairy farms are just really really struggling. So what they're building in the Ice House project is a creamery, uh, and a bar and a taco stand and it's all built around kind of this C shape and they want to build out a whole edible landscape and put it in a 50 foot greenhouse. Um, and we're talking about partnering up with them and, and helping them with soil health consulting and doing a bunch of marketing and teaching folks, um, you know, why soil health matters, why you should be growing your own food. Here's how, um, they've got a great event space. So, there's no reason why developers in every town and rural area can't create through the development and you know as people renovate small historic buildings as easily could happen here in Oklahoma Avenue right like yes. how, what are the local farms that could cultivate and come together and and build just another co-op in mm-hmm. every rural community that's really important to me too is is creating an arm into these rural towns because it's food sovereignty it's also economic reclamation it's um you know the whole the list goes on and on in terms of why it matters yeah well when you start pushing that needle it starts affecting everything 
Mm-hmm. You know, it starts helping more farmers, which start helping more communities, which start helping the families, and then the um, prices go down on the organic food. I mean, it's secular, you yeah. know? So it's just taking that one little step to look up what's around you, what local farmer who's doing things right that you can go out there and support. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. Yeah, and just thinking holistically, you're exactly right. You take one thing and you recognize that it's just deeply rooted and connected to everything else. And so it's it really is a mindset. I mean, it is a matter of like shifting culture. Yes. Um, and that's what I've learned, I mean, is in navigating the space in the regenerative movement over the last several years. I mean, there's tremendous amount of soil health consultants and state agencies and, and foundations like Noble that are teaching producers and doing a lot of farmer-to-farmer mentorship. But there's a massive gap in between farmers and consumers. And so, um, you know, there's there's so many creative ways that companies can get behind it. And like I said, developers literally building out um, the reflection of an edible landscape and why soil health matters. Yeah. Mm. So will you again give us your, um, is it the regenerative farming? Is that where people would go to find these connections to you or to be more of your personal website? Uh, regenerate Oklahoma dot us. Yeah. So it's okay. called regenerate Oklahoma. And if, if folks go to regenerate Oklahoma dot us, they can find out more. Um, we're building by the day, by the week, bringing more folks in and, and building out our structure. So the best is to sign up to our newsletter and we'll, we'll continue to update folks throughout the state. Okay. When people ask you about your business, what do you say? How do you describe your products or services? Are you selling yourself short because you just can't put it into words? You're good at what you do, but it's not always easy to communicate how you're great at your work with simplicity. But now you have help. My friend Andrea at Strategic Hype will help you clarify your mission and communicate your value with a hype kit. This process will help you cut through the noise and share the best of what you do. We recently did a hype kit for Made Possible By, and it has allowed us to really simplify our message in order to get greater reach. For details on all the good stuff you'll get out of this hype kit, email andrea at strategic-hype.com or reach out to us and we will personally connect you. What's good, people? Hey, this is Hetty again. I just want to, first of all, let's give a shout out to Tracy, our great host uh, for the conversation around good podcast. We also want to give a shout out to another one of our sponsors, and that sponsor is Plenty Mercantile. We love, love, love the team at Plenty Mercantile. They have been great supporters of our platform, and so we're thankful that they are now sponsoring this podcast so that we can get great stories, inspiring stories out to you the listener. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the story. It's been around since 2012. They have several locations. They have one in uh, downtown Oklahoma City in the historic Automobile Alley. They have one in Edmond at Spring Creek and then also one in Chisholm Creek. 
And uh, the downtown store has a great rooftop venue and a warehouse for events. So uh, please check them out. You can go to their website at www.plentymercantile.com. And there you'll also find all their social handles. I follow them. Uh, the Made Possible team follows them. So we want you to go follow them as well. And they would love to meet you. So go ahead and stop by one of their locations and just always remember shopping uh, at local retailers make makes a big difference. All right. Let's jump into this episode. I'm tossing it over to Tracy. Yeah, great. Thank yeah. you. Thank yeah. you for being the, the healthy middleman. Yeah, of course. I love Thank that. Thank you, too. I love that. Yeah. Nicole, what do you think the issues with our current food system really are? We live in a, in a country where less than 1% of our farmers are eating their own food. And, I mean, there are so many facts that really break down just how insane our food system is. And just that alone, I mean, really think about that. Less than 1% of our farmers are eating their own food. Because? Because government subsidies essentially promote um, corn and soybeans and sugar beets. And much of this has come from the so-called Green Revolution. And after World War II, all of these chemicals that essentially came from you know, producing planes and um, ships and whatnot were then relocated into fertilizers, fertilizers and pesticides. And we were told through a tremendous amount of money and propaganda machine that we were gonna feed the world. Um, that is false, that is simply false. And right now in Sub-Saharan Africa, there is a massive famine with millions of people that are starving and we're not feeding them. Um, we're not feeding them because we don't have the geopolitical infrastructure to feed them. Um, and furthermore, you know, plastic is not, is not food, <laughs> right? So um, there's not incentive. That's, that's part of the problem. And um, we've also got companies, uh, Chinese companies, that are employing American farmers, and then that product is then being shipped to China. So... Um, I mean, there's so many, there's so many issues involved and, and, and we're also, you know, we're, we're missing out on all of these minerals as well. We've lost, I think 70% of the minerals necessary in nutrient dense food over the last hundred years. Mm. Um, states like Kansas, of which is 90% farmland is, is importing 90% of their own food. And I, you know, I've yet to know exactly in Oklahoma, I still need to learn that. But that's, I mean, it's, it's just not, it's not a local system. It, it's not about um, empowering farmers. It doesn't take care of them. It doesn't consider our soils. Um, it's about growth and big and large and export and not really considering nutrient density, not considering our soils, not considering our waterways um, and the health impact because, and, and much of this is for cheap food and that's part of the problem. And the cascading effect of cheap is the expense of, of disease, disease to our plants, to ourselves. Um, and, and, you know, that's why it's really, really so concerning. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's scary. It's scary. It's really scary when you really start to think about it and just how separate we are. And I mean, I was told recently we have 60 harvests left. Yeah. And it's, it, I mean, we really, we really have to get on this and get on it quickly. Yeah. And the good news, I mean, 
here at Made Possible by and thinking about possibility yeah. is that, you know, it life wants to come back really quickly. And, it, you know, it's it's the nature of immunity and, and life force is to come back really quickly. And once producers start recognizing the degradation of their soils and the degradation of, of, of the food that, that's being grown and um, I, there's quickly this kind of observation and discovery of of recognizing life on their land and it becomes it becomes fun again it becomes interesting it becomes you know life-giving um the film that i did farmer's footprint i remember talking to grant brightcruz who was the the gentleman involved and he was fifth generation minnesota producer and he said i never enjoyed spraying i never enjoyed you know putting chemical recipes together and now i'm just i'm watching life come back and it again the whole cause and effect of diversity all of a sudden i mean they're completely changing over their corn operation and and his wife is a veteran and they've reached out to this veterans organization and he's like i can't keep them away because they're just it's so life-giving to to get their hands in the dirt and work with soil and watch what happens when when you plant life and life give, gives back. There's something yeah. about that. There's something yeah. about digging in the dirt and and watching those buds mm-hmm. pop out of there. And yeah. there is, it's, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, it's it totally is. exciting. I'm so sad about this freeze that's happening oh. today. And I put all the, my plants in and I just, I just, it makes me, I mean, I literally look outside and just watch them grow. It's totally life giving. Yeah. yeah. So if someone wanted to go watch your movie, which I did recently, and it is inspiring oh, to watch that, thank to you. see. I love seeing generation, family, generational um, businesses, period, but farmers. Yeah. They're the hardest working people. Oh, they're the coolest. Oh, my gosh. They're just, I just have so much reverence for farmers. Oh. They're just, yeah, salt of the earth. And, yes. And, you know, on the front lines of climate disruption and, you know, running the engine of our food system and... Um, yeah, really solid humans. So much respect. Mm-hmm. So where do people go to watch that? Uh, people can go to farmersfootprint.us. It's been turned into a nonprofit since we launched the film a couple of years ago. Nice. Um, it's a 20-minute film. So, yeah, farmersfootprint.us. Okay. Yeah. Get out there, people. It's <laughs> worth it. It's worth 20 minutes for sure. <laughs> Thank you. So you've spoken about bridging rural and urban communities. Can you share how this project can help do just that? Yeah, just going back to the market idea and, and, you know, these developers that we just met with, um, Patrick Myers lives near Cushing and, 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 you know, the the project that he's building in Edmond is a pretty big project, but he's like, there's just, there's no reason why this can't happen in Cushing and Stroud and, you know, all these little, little areas. Um, Again, obviously brings back food sovereignty, but it, it, it creates, um, economic possibility um it creates education a lot of these rural communities unfortunately are are are, um eating and growing fast food um so it creates education it creates health it can create economic stability um and markets i mean every time i a lot a lot of times i go through these little rural towns that are so great um oftentimes are boarded up and we really need you know a connectivity to these rural communities because they're just you know, going back to what we were talking about in Oklahoma, I mean, it's just, it's neighbors helping neighbors and sharing tomatoes and looking folks in the eye and just a, a moral agency that that I adore and that we need to, to empower and, and mm-hmm. connect with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oftentimes land stewards. I mean, oftentimes our food, not only our food, our fiber, our clean air, our water is coming from rural areas, right? So um, knowing that 
we as consumers within primarily urban areas can say, you know, we want to connect with you and work with you and empower markets and empower economic stability and and food sovereignty that's that's just absolutely necessary Mm. so give us the website again where people can go to try to find their local um, farmers in their area so um probably best you mean i mean there's so many um but at this point i mean regenerate oklahoma that is part of our our goal is to have folks on on the website so regenerateoklahoma.s um certainly stay in touch being be involved in the newsletter and we're going to update folks on on farms happening all over the state um so i mean farmers markets are are everywhere and they're growing by by, i think by the year which is really exciting Yeah. yeah there's real demand i mean it's really the more i get into this there's just so many people that are that are interested in wanting to get involved and mm-hmm. wanting to empower the movement, which is great. Nice. So, yeah. I'm just going to keep giving you opportunities to give that website. So, okay, you can, great. so it's ingrained, <laughs> it's ingrained in there. Okay. So I've heard you say that your time with indigenous people in East Africa and Tanzania, um, Peru, India, Indonesia, you've been everywhere, mm-hmm. Cambodia, Burma, um, and Vietnam, that they have influenced your uh, photography and your filming exploration and in, into, into human relationships and culture and understanding the wild and letting it be wild, right? Yeah. So tell us more about what brought you there because you've been to lots of places. Yeah. And what you learned because clearly they do it differently than we do here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have, I have a travel bug since I was young. I was lucky to see a little bit of the of the world when I was young. And um, again, just going back to trying to document and understand and watch and learn what makes us us, regardless of culture, regardless of language, um, regardless of times of being lost in translation. I think spending time with indigenous communities and recognizing... Um, their sense of place and and relationship to land and animals and 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 particularly their food system it it made me realize kind of our own conditioning and our first world disconnection to to the land and uh, i spent time with one tribe in in tanzania called the hadzabi and and spent a couple months with them and um It's just there's something really that comes back to you in terms of you know what is what is all the conditioning that has happened within our first world that disconnects us from our food system and um, recognizing a language where you know giving and taking is there there's nothing in their language of please and thank you because everything is it's just a given that it's a collective that a sharing community and sharing society mm-hmm. is actually uh, holistic thinking that is holistic wealth. And so um, I think recognizing enough as well. I think we live in a, in a society of more, more, more and bigger and, you know, expansion and, and rugged individualism. That's something um, that I think about in coming back to Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma is 98% privately owned. So much of our mentality is, you know, this is my front lawn and this is my this is mine, this is mine, this is mine, but rather, you know, creating a yard by yard understanding collectively. Are you, are you growing things for pollinators? Are you thinking about growing six beds of food in your backyard so that you could feed your entire block if we need to? Um, so yeah, just, I, I think 
living within a society that operates from a place of collective than a place from enough, you know, which is nature's operating system. That's how nature works is, you know, if you, if you look at a, a forest, every tree has um, a place of, of uh, recognition of what is good for the whole rather than taking, you know, independently. So, yeah. Hmm. So what, you said you had the bug to travel, but when you went to these places, was it mainly, I just want to document how these people live? I mean, were you with an organization? Were you on your own? I mean, what, what was the first place you went? And what was your, I guess your in, I should say, into the community? Yeah. My very first third world country, which just felt so far away from my home, was Nepal. I went to Nepal right after college I was doing I studied environmental science and I got my last few credits through the World Wildlife Fund through the San Francisco State University um, and we did what's called a wildland study and they they put us into a region called Kanjinjunga which was the beginning of NGOs in the area so it was it was far eastern in Nepal this was 95 96 um, and we were going into villages of folks that had never seen white people and I, you know, we were studying everything from tree diversity to seed dispersal to tourist impact. And I had my camera and at the time, you know, was still focused on environmental science and, and all of the things that we were studying through the program. And um, there was about 10 of us. And I was, I was up with the porters and we were trekking. We, we, we trekked and camped for about three months. And I was up with the porters one day and it was super early and it was just myself and three Nepalese and we walked into this village and um there were these kids they were sitting on the rock they were probably five and seven and the way that they looked at me was just like who is this alien with blue eyes and a backpack and these giant boots and this weird camera around her neck I mean it was just it was just this amazing reflection of just you know curiosity and still obviously childlike and I just thought to myself like how do we, you know, one, as adults, get back to that childlike observation in any circumstance? You don't have to go to a third world country, but how do we go in to a place of curiosity and, and um, to allow growth and in, in, in the understanding of the unknown, right? So I still was this foreigner, and, and they were just looking at me in such a way of just like, my God, what is this person with white skin and blue eyes? And, um, so yeah, it just it just threw me into into a, a place of I just I just want to shoot and learn and and be challenged by my own bias. I think a lot about that. I mean, that's something we all need to be working towards. It's my favorite thing in in creating documentaries. We can all have an agenda or a bias going into anything that we do, right? And how do we how do we break open that bias in order to to live in a place of curiosity and observation, which Again, going back to regenerative, that's part of the principles is staying in observation, which consequently creates this circulatory flow as opposed to stagnance, stagnance and monoculture and all these terms that can be referred to conventional farming um, can also be referred to um, as individuals and, and as a society. Hmm. I really love that picture because I feel like if we live, if you live in America or North America even, South America, even some parts, but uh, you live in the Disney world of the world, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, we, well, yeah. 
<laughs> it's privilege just, is off the charts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Seriously. It, yeah. it really is. And I feel like we create these, um, brick walls, a sense around us in that this is how the world is. And I'm protecting myself from seeing what other cultures are dealing with or whether other cultures are, um, how they view the world. You know, we mm-hmm. just kind of live in this little bubble. Um, but I always encourage people to go outside of the country and not just to Mexico and sit on a beach, <laughs> go someplace that's, you know, gonna yeah. dramatically change your perspective. Mm-hmm. I've had the privilege to go to Africa a couple of times and I took my son Jake with me when he was about 10 and we were in these remote villages with people mm-hmm. who they've probably seen white people before, but not very often. And we were taking videos of them on our phone or taking pictures of them and then turning the phone around and showing them. And it just was the cool, they were so excited. Mm -hmm. They were so excited to do that, but he's African American. So it was kind of blowing their mind a little bit that he was, (laughs) he was American, but he's also also African American. So it was, it was an interesting thing, but Mm. for him to see those kids in their water supply Mm -hmm. and their food supply, you know, I mean, it was, yeah, it's, it's eye-opening. Yeah, it is. It's confronting. Mm-hmm. And I think the duty of our privilege is, is integrity. You know, if we have the means and the education and, and the time um, to think about where our food comes from, to think about, you know, what are our watersheds, to think about, you know, marginalized communities, um, understanding indigenous rights, understanding, you know, again, diversity, not only in the soil, but within, within our entire landscape as human beings, it's, we've got to go in and, and listen, right? Ultimately, so we were talking about earlier, like really, really listening to another and, you know, based on what we're dealing with in terms of media and this, the polarization that we've never seen before at this level in this country. I mean, this, again, this is, this is bridge building, you know, even just here, if you want to going into rural communities and listening, going into urban communities and listening, I mean, listening to others. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go outside the country to hear somebody who thinks differently than you or believes differently than you, Mm -hmm. but it comes back to choosing to take the time and to listen and hear what they have to say. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Even just the urban and rural communities. Yeah. Very, very different. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a big one. Yes. Yeah. So who's involved in Regenerate Oklahoma and how can consumers as well as farmers participate? So they just reach out to you guys? I mean, yeah. what, what does that look like? Yeah. Or what would you like it to look like? Um, God, well, there's, it's just happening. I need five of me. <laughs> um, it's happening really quickly. We have an amazing team. Um, there's all sorts of superstars, unsung heroes that I'm excited to, to get to become more known. Um, we've got soil health consultants, soil scientists. Um, Amy Seeger, who's a dear friend, has been an advisor. She's director of soil health for the Conservation Commission. Um, Greg Scott is a soil consult- con- soil scientist. Um, Jimmy Emmons, soil consultant. Um, Sarah Blaney is on board as a, as a board member. Uh, she's executive director of the Conservation District. Willard Tillman, who's director of the um, Oklahoma Black Historical Society. Um, so the team keeps building, which is super exciting. And really the best, like I said, is to go to regenerateoklahoma.s and sign into our newsletter at this point um, because we 
we're, I mean, like I said, building by the week and hope to, to really launch even more, um, within the next month. So probably while this, while this airs, will be a lot more on our website for folks to tap into, but we really want to be a source for producers and, and to help build out markets and, and create connectivity to all the farmers markets that are growing and co-ops and, but ultimately, um, branding this and getting the marketing out to consumers so that they understand just how important it is. It's not just, oh, let's go get fresh strawberries at the farmer's market. It'll be a great walk. It's like this is absolutely necessary um, for our land and our water and, and our farmers. And, and again, creating hyper-local economic sovereignty. Planet health. Planet health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And if somebody wanted to say, okay, you've totally inspired me. I'm going to get off my butt and I'm going to plant my garden. Mm-hmm. There are information resources there as well. We can direct you to, to the right ones. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I and mean, that's, there's a lot to this and there's a lot, there has to be a lot of people involved, but yeah, for sure. There's, there's so much information out there and yeah, happy to, to help direct the right links. Okay. Sure. Because yeah. now I found it. It's hard even, you have to search to find non-GMO seeds. Yeah, you know, you want to plant your garden, you can't just go to Walmart and buy mm-hmm. seeds. Yeah, you 90% can. of our seeds are owned by chemical companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that makes us, you know, not only dependent on these companies, but dependent on chemical seeds, yeah. Yeah, many um, many of our tribes, out of our 39 tribes, are, are holding their seeds, creating seed banks, um, the Pawnees, I think, have 15, 16 different varieties of corn. So, I mean, they're very, very precious. Yeah. So we're working on, on building um, access to the right places to find, to find the right seeds for sure. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That That's was something one. that I discovered a few years ago in trying yeah. to do something like that. It was a little bit mind-blowing. Yeah. It's totally mind-blowing. I just bought a house and I'm working on uprooting the front lawn and putting in, in beds in Flagstone and I'm going to put together a, a seed library instead of a library so people can come and go oh, take well, seeds. I will be driving by your place. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. But I mean, things like that. I mean, you know, everyone can, can do that and not just think about the perfect green lawn, but rather... You know, not just the back, even with beds, but uproot the front. Yes, yes. <laughs> uproot the front and garden all of it. Yes. Yeah. We, my husband and I decided a couple of years ago, we're not planting anything anymore ever again, unless it has a purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, nice. Good. Not, it, yeah. It just can't. But see, it's a, it's a mentality it and is. so much of this kind of, you know, rugged individual, this is my lawn and it needs to be perfect all year round, all year round. I mean, you see people, you know, watering their lawn in the fall well into the winter and it's like god it doesn't <laughs> matter me. yeah it's there's more important things mm-hmm. there's more yeah. important things yeah okay so nicole if you could live leave us with one thought today what would be your call to action your motivational statement what do you want to tell us uh what do i want to tell you i think there is i talk a lot about i think a lot about this cellular memory that we all have as human beings and i think once we tap into um, this particular mindset, whether it's, it's thinking about your lawn or your yard and, and saying, I'm not going to put anything in the ground that isn't of purpose, or I'm going to go out of my way to, um, connect to markets. There's, there really is something inside of us that, um, wants to regenerate, right. And anything that we do and any relationship and any organization and any, you know, piece of land that we may be working or, um, connecting to is just thinking about the principles of, of regenerating, you know, instead of, of degrading and degradation. Yeah. 
So, okay. And then we can use that in our relationships, right? So we're going to go into the world and we're going to be <laughs> positive and we're going to be kind and we're going to build into people too because you know yeah we're made possible so we can make things possible not just not not that this is a small thing not just growing something that's going to bring life but relationships that are going to bring life to somebody else yeah absolutely i like it yeah diversity listening to others it's got all sorts of applications yeah and beyond sustainable sustainable is kind of a an older word at this point you know ray who i was talking about the soil health teacher he's like you don't talk to your partner like oh we have such a sustainable relationship it's totally sustainable (laughs) right which is kind of a flat line but how can we how can we constantly think about regenerating nice i like that yeah i like that yeah if you've been married for over 10 years you're you're in a sustainable (laughs) relationship (laughs) that's funny that sounds very boring doesn't it yeah yeah mix it up oh yay we're sustainable (laughs) oh no we want to regenerate we want to make it new i love that yeah well, th- thank you for taking time to yeah, Nicole. I really appreciate you yeah. sharing. Thank you. You're too. our first um, regenerative farmer. Well, your first or any farmer, I think, on our show, and it's just a, a it's an important thing that I don't think that we most people probably don't even really think about it. And I, yeah. you know, and I'm the same way. It's easy to just be to run to the store and get what you need but it, yeah. it, we just have to change our thinking yeah yeah well that's our that's our intention is is really getting strong media and education out there to for folks to understand just how important it is and connecting to to producers across the state awesome well yeah. i'm glad we can help share your story thank you so much i that's appreciate awesome. it thank, thank you. you too yeah listeners thank you again for joining us for another conversation around good don't forget to like share tag and give a podcast review so we can share these good stories um go ahead and hit hit that subscribe button as well so you don't miss another story of good get out there and continue to do your own good because we think that you're amazing and we appreciate you every day go out there and do something regenerative today go listen to somebody just take a couple minutes. Go listen to somebody. Even that person at the grocery store who's super friendly to you today, or maybe they weren't friendly to you today. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Just go find somebody who looks different than you and hear what they have to say. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for another conversation around good. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss out on a story of good. Made Possible by makes giving easy for community-minded businesses and provides a better way to share their stories of good. Go to madepossibleby.us for more information or to sign up to be a guest on our podcast. Now, get out there and make good loud. Forward conversation. Going to have a good time. Going to, 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 here, here, for conversation, gonna have a good time, say with, say with, say with, say with, here to talk.